Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Young Professional African Edition with your host, Jonathan Rwanika and Shanil Mudli, equipping you with all the right tools to jumpstart your career in an African context by sharing experiences and spreading the gospel of information. With original music brought to you by Africa's own, Yunil Badiachi. Hey, Shanil. How are you doing today? How was Heritage Day for you? Hey, Jonathan. It was great. Uh, it's, uh, I think, one of my favorite public holidays in the year. Friday. Because <laughs> you're brying. Because <laughs> you're brying, isn't it? Uh, yeah. do, 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 do you know the reason for that holiday? You know, like... Uh, What's the premise for those of our, our listeners who are, who are listening from who are not from South Africa? You know, what, what is Heritage Day about, Shneel? Uh, yeah, so, so for me, and, and I think I, I probably stand to be corrected, I haven't Googled it, but my, my thought was always that we celebrate the numerous diverse cultures and, and heritage, obviously, for our country. We've got 11 official languages and, uh, you know, a, a host of different subsects of cultures. And I think it's just a day yeah. to, to intentionally celebrate all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think its origins actually come from the from the Zulu kingdom. I think they had a customary day that they celebrated. And I think New Age South Africa decided that, you know, it's actually a perfect day to celebrate everyone's different cultures. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's, yeah it's pretty cool. No, yeah, my, the is. CEO company I work for now was was on was on that tip explaining the reason behind it that's why I know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awesome man. but you know I, I, I want I want to know from you uh, you know photography uh what are your earliest uh memories of cameras and pictures uh if you yeah, can take us sure. through that I think you know mine has always been um at like I, I think I must have been like four or five years old you know, birthday parties, family things, and uh, your your dad or your uncle whips out this this huge box box like thing with a huge lens, um, and they, they you just hear like a clicker sound throughout the birthday party, and then you you wait two weeks and you you get back images of of the birthday, and you know I found it amazing at the time. I was like, oh, how does this camera work? Like, where's this pictures going? Um, and then of course the films, you know, whipping out the film from the side. Um, playing with it, getting into trouble because you're ruining the photo, <laughs> all, all of those sort of things. What, what about you, Jonathan? Yeah, and I remember my dad always complaining about how expensive those little films were, so we had to handle them with care. And I think my one of my the memories I remember the most uh, is when I dropped some uh, a cup of water over. We had a box, a box which we put all our pictures in. So it ruined like a quarter, a quarter of our lives was uh, destroyed <laughs> in five seconds. <laughs> Memories lost forever. <laughs> sure, man. Imagine um, and, and look at where we are now, hey, with cloud computing and, and cloud storage. We'd we'd never have to worry about that again. Yeah. And Shneel, you know, just on that, you know, uh, one of the biggest companies back then I remember was Kodak. Yeah. Kodak was one of the big companies. It was almost like a Nokia when it, when it came to, to cell phones, synonymous with photography. Um, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about the company, you know, how it was started, because I, I think it's an interesting case study. Yeah. Yeah. How was it started uh, and sort of like the timeline of events that led to, to where Kodak is now? Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, in terms of the, the country, um, 
the company uh was it was it eastman hey eastman Kodak. Oh, george eastman yes george yeah, yeah. eastman um and and i think this was an iconic example and and we'll probably get into that of um a company that that founded a brilliant place in the market that went through something amazing that even founded the digital version of it that you know was able to um at least identify the the digital disruption and 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 maybe then we discuss why nowadays it's not such a big household name but i think in terms of the history you'd probably be be better to to discuss that uh, you know my my history of the company i think is just i know it was around like 1975 they dominated the space but maybe give us some background about the the ceo or the or the founder yeah so you know I, the story is very interesting to me because uh, it was founded by an individual He wasn't like a camera expert or a photography expert. He was just someone who was passionate about photography. Uh, and in his mind, he kept on experimenting on how best can he make photography easier for himself. You know, as time went on, he realized that he could make photography easier for everyone and make uh, an, an event like taking photographs, something that is uh, accessible to each and every uh, person on the street. You know, and that's why he founded the company, which I thought was fantastic. And I really particularly liked the business model, right? You know, because he had an idea, he had a purpose, but he also had a cash generating machine. And it was sort of like a twofold business model uh, where firstly, he wanted everyone to have a camera. So he made that easy, you know, cameras were cheap. Uh, Chanel could take a photo, you know, like our parents used to take photos at our parties back then. But the second part of the business model was film. Because because of the technology of the time, they quickly realized that they weren't able uh, to democratize uh, the, the creation of photographs. The taking of photographs, they could, but it was very expensive to have people uh, developing their own pictures. So they just centralized that fan function into the company that he uh, called Kodak uh, and started selling film and producing pictures. And that became sort of like the profitable arm of Kodak and uh, how it became one of the biggest companies in the world at the time. Uh, so I loved that business model. I loved that sort of like purpose, like democratization of something. Um, and I think democratization is a, is a theme that is uh, in many business models today, you know, from YouTube to Instagram to, to everything you can think of. But uh, they filed for bankrupt, bankruptcy in 2012, Shinko. And uh, maybe if you can just take us through, you know, what, what were some of the, the reasons for that bankruptcy? You know, um, uh, what caused it? I know Kodak also invented the first digital camera, but it later put them out of business. So maybe you can just dissect, you know, how can an industry leader like this um, uh, lose so much market share, lose and become bankrupt uh, from, from such a strong market position? And maybe what can we learn from that? Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. I think you framed that nicely and gave some great context about um, Kodak and, and the company. And they were, they were really, you know, the biggest at the time. Um, there were very few names that were in the, same, in the same category or the same sentence as Kodak when it came to photography. And, and I think, you know, partially that is because he, the CEO, the founder had a great idea, found a great market niche. But when we start dissecting the business in a little bit more detail, Another reason why there were so few competitors is because they, they really, Kodak had really developed and refined a, a quite a complex manufacturing process um, when, when it came to capturing and preserving 
um, images. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I sort of researched and, and was figuring out along the lines here is that color foam was an extremely, extremely complex um, product for, for them to manufacture. Uh, this has, and, I, and if I, I recall correctly, it's like you needed to coat this with something like 24 layers of sophisticated chemicals, right? There were photosynthesizers, dyes, couplers, and a whole host of other materials. And, and because of this complex process, which is obviously firstly capital intensive and is an art, like let's just call it what it is. It is an art to, to develop form and, and create this process. It, it prohibited a lot of people from entering the space. So you've had a handful of competitors or, or market leaders who could actually copy or, or mimic this process. And that's why, you know, they enjoyed revenues, you know, good revenues for, for a long period of time. And when we start to, to dissect why exactly they, they failed as a, as a company and why they, they then, you know, filed for bankruptcy, one of the big things is, I think, to do with that is the, the change in technology. Let's, let's start there. So firstly, there was, there was a huge change in technology. And, and as we know, nowadays, it's, it's quite common. But when technology becomes more accessible, you know, that opens the gates for smaller competitors. And the digital camera, digital photography, and digital images, they were cheap. They weren't difficult to master. The process was not complex. And you just get a whole host of people who started entering this, um, this part of the business. Kodak now has this, this very difficult decision to make where, you know, should we, we can see there's some growth here, but, but as a whole, the, the, the specific segment is not making huge profits, but our current segment, which is the imaging and the chemical um, part of the business is, is bringing in huge revenue. So do we transition and shift over to, to this digital industry that's that's you know looks like it's potentially losing money do we stay where we are currently and continue to make this money even though we do see that sales are declining and and i think you know and and as we said um offline this is where you start to, to feel some sympathy for the for the board and for everyone else it's it's a really difficult decision to make or to to justify to your to your board board of directors your investors to say look guys we we're making so much money from this revenue stream we're going to completely cut ties with it and we're going to start moving towards this digital where we're not really sure um, what's going to happen there. We aren't experts in the space. There are other people who are doing it. It's a more saturated market. It's, it's just a difficult sell, Jonathan. So I think I'll pause there and maybe gather your thoughts on that before I, I move into the next um, point there. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the best things about looking back uh, is having the benefit of hindsight. Yes. <laughs> uh, and when you start looking at things in a bit more detail, you might start thinking, what were they thinking? They must have been like the biggest idiots in the world. How, how could they not see this coming? But I think to contextualize that decision that they made, uh, when you start contextualizing like you're saying now, uh, the factors that lead to uh, making business decisions, you know, when we talk about Kodak, a listed company, which has a ton of investors, right, who are more concerned about things like share price. Uh, there was no way you could convince a board that, listen, the future is digital. Uh, it's making, it's losing so much money at the moment. And this super profitable machine that we have, uh, we should scale back. You know, people would think you're crazy, you know. And I think that's sort of why startups and small businesses will always have a window when competing with, with giants and industries, because giants cannot move as, 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 agile, as agile as smaller business 
because of those factors, because of boards, because of external circumstances, because of the fact that their established practices are producing a lot of profits, you know, it becomes very difficult to explain. You know, we even see it in businesses, you know, that we work like uh, now uh, for things to really shake up. It's either profits need to be tanking or, um, uh, or something bad needs to be happening for you to have significant shifts. Because what we know when things are going good, there's no way you can, you know, you can uh, shift things radically. It, it's very difficult to convince people when things are going well and the money is coming in. Yeah, so I think, I think that context is important. Just understanding sort of like that decision and the limitations of large corporations. Uh, but you have also seen in present day large corporations that have sort of inst instilled that sort of like change as a man mantra. If you look at companies like Google and Facebook, it's almost like embedded in their uh, philosophy and their investors expect it. They expect there to be constant change and constant reinvention. Whereas uh, I was hearing the PepsiCo CEO recently, I think she retired now. You know, she was like, it's very difficult for established businesses that are not a Facebook, that are not tech companies yeah. to just radically shift because they established practices that work and convincing people otherwise. Uh, you know, as you said, they were in film, um, in, in the business of making film, you know, and they had built up expertise. They had built up so much research into that uh, knowledge center just shifting it over, uh, overnight or over a few years was bound to prove very difficult. Yeah, and, and I, so, yeah, sorry, Jonathan, you. No, I was, no, I, that, okay, that was my cool. thoughts. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, just adding on what you're saying, aside from the, you know, getting your mind around it and the policies and the red tape that you experience in these big corporations, when we look at this from a balance sheet perspective, especially for, and, and I think PepsiCo would also be a great example, but, but Kodak is, a capital intensive business, right? They've invested a lot into the manufacturing equipment, um, into the chemicals, into all of those stuff. And one of the, the beauties of, uh, you know, beautiful concepts, I guess, of, of large corporations is um, economies of scale. So they've invested this huge amount of, of capital and they know that very few competitors can afford to invest the same. And as their sales increase, the cost per unit decreases. But now they're in a, an extremely difficult situation. It's scaling down. So when you scale down, you no longer get the benefit of an economy of scale. You've got these huge fixed costs. Your sales are decreasing. Either you need to change the price of your, your service or your product, or you know, you're going to tank that revenue stream and have extremely um, narrow margins on, on whatever it is that you're doing. So I think we, we also underestimate in these high capital intensive environments where we investing a lot into um, the product or the fixed cost, how difficult it is to, to scale down. And this is obviously assuming that your, your asset is not depreciated fully and all of those things without getting into, you know, too technical, but essentially you need to, you need to manage that, um, that aspect of your business. And I think that was really difficult for Kodak and for anyone to really do. I, I don't know what I would do in that situation. It's, <laughs> it's a very, very tough one um, to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. what were some of the, the lessons, I guess, that you that you were thinking, you know, that you'd like to extract from this or some insights from yourself personally? Yeah, I'd like to rephrase that, Shanil. Like, uh, I would like if we could, um, which is a difficult question, I think, uh, 
what lessons can you know African corporations, African startups uh, extract from the Kodak experience? Um, are there any, uh, and can we think of any right now? Is, is the bigger question. But I think for me, if I if I had to start off, I think how Kodak started and how Eastwood had sort of like a purpose. You know, he had a his purpose and aim was to have everyone have that experience that he enjoyed so much, which is always capturing memories and having them for the rest of your life. Um, and sort of like democ democratizing that for everyone. I think there's a lesson to be learned about as a business or as a startup in Africa, really honing in on what are you aiming to do for the consumer and what's the purpose of your business and sort of like ensuring that does not change throughout your life cycle uh, so that whatever happens, you keep pivoting in and around. I think it would have been a lot easier for Kodak to make the decision to pivot into digital if they had remained steadfast in the reason why Eastwood established Kodak in the first place, which was ensuring that, you know, we, uh, everyone could share, could have uh, access to photography and it could be accessible to everyone, you know clinging on to film was not focusing on that vision and purpose that they had initially, I think. Um, so that could be a lesson. Yeah, and, and I think just adding to that, um, when you, and, and this is why it's so important to have the different roles in the company, the CEO is the visionary, right? And he understands the business for the way or the need that it's satisfying for the customer. And I think as you go along and you start to scale and you hire your Harvard grads and your all of your MBAs and your, your accountants and, and everyone very finance related, the balance sheet becomes extremely important um, over this time. And if you have to look at the balance sheet and understand this and you say, what business are we in today? Kodak would say, you know, we were a, a, like a chemical film company and an imaging company. And that makes perfect sense from a balance sheet perspective because that's where your revenue streams are coming from. But I think at some point they forgot that they're actually a moment sharing company. And I think that was the vision of the CEO. So, so I think that's something really important when you're experiencing disruption in your market or growth in your market to, to sort of take it back um, to the vision of your company, the vision of your business, what you're satisfying in terms of the, the customer need and then approaching that with some humility. Because um, even if you have a big balance sheet, it's, it's not always a positive thing as we've, as we've discussed. So, so I think for me, those are some key insights um, that I would I would want to extract from this this case study going forward. Yeah, I can't think of any uh, any more. But uh, what I would say is that if any of our listeners have any more that they would love to share, uh, feel free to share on our multiple platforms. And uh, yeah, we can also give feedback to everyone else. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Young Professional African Edition. If you haven't already please subscribe to the show on Apple Music, Spotify, or whatever platform that you use to listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a follow. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at YP underscore Africa. That's YP underscore Africa. And if you've missed an episode, don't stress. You can catch up on our YouTube channel, YP underscore Africa. Like and subscribe, guys. Like and subscribe. That's it from us, guys. See you next week.